Welcome to the Angus Conversation. I'm your host, Miranda Ryman, with my fellow co-host, Mark McCulley, CEO of the American Angus Association. And we are here in Mark's office right after the, the board meeting that we've just had past week. Had a great set of board meetings. Uh, I always say that set of board meetings because there's multiple board meetings, each of the entities. And and uh, I don't know, maybe this time more than ever, I would say the committee work that was done, we do that two weeks before and the, and, and do virtual, uh, do those via Zoom technology. And I, I tell you, we, there was a lot of ground covered, some really, really productive committee meetings. Uh, board members uh, uh, did a lot of that pre-work and some uh, a couple long evenings of committee work, but really set the stage to have a very, very productive week here uh, that we're just wrapping up. That's right. It felt a little bit intense. We went from committee meeting week to cattle industry convention and trade show right into board meetings. So we've had a lot of conversations in a kind of two week, two to three week period. But. Yeah. And then prior to that was National Western Stock Show and Oklahoma City Cattlemen's Congress. And there's been a lot going Fort Worth. There's been a lot going on. Absolutely. Well, I, I kind of joke with you that we always start out saying, that was an exciting set of board meetings, and we're not going to do that today. I wanted to start somewhere else. But they were. They, they were. That's okay. true. That's true. But um, we had our chaplain starts out every every meeting. We have a prayer. We say the pledge. And the first day, Charles Mock told us a little story that I thought kind of sets the stage for what the board tries to accomplish, I guess, in a week. So. And there were some nice references back to that story throughout. The story was, can I tell the story? Yeah, do you, you want to tell, tell it or you're not? Pr- you're probably a better storyteller than <laughs> I am. Well, I'd heard the story before. So when he started down there, I knew exactly where he was going, and I love it. And the story was about um, a, uh, a family that was together, and, and the, the, the mother was cutting off the ends of a ham. And the, the, the daughter— They were preparing the Easter ham. For the Easter the four ham, Four generations yes. together, gathered see, up in see, the kitchen. you should tell the story. <laughs> and the daughter asked why— Mom, why are you cutting off the ends of the ham? He says, well, my mother always has. Go ask grandmother why she does. And so she went and asked grandmother. says, well, my mother always does. And so she went and asked the great-grandmother, why do we cut off the ends of the ham? And the great-grandmother says, well, I don't know about you, but that's the size of my ham pan. Yeah. Right. And, and what a what a great sometimes reminder of how many times. Well, that's just the way it's always been done. And we maybe don't know why it was always done. And when you start digging into it, some of that uh, maybe that rationale of why we did things a, a certain way really don't exist or don't pertain anymore. And that that theme and if you will, tie it to innovation and making sure that we're always looking at what we're doing, making sure there's good sound logic behind it. And sometimes not afraid to go ahead and leave the ham uh, intact if uh, we got a bigger pan. Absolutely. So we've got a couple of Angus breeders here today that are going to help explain their rationale, I guess, on decisions that were made over over the past week or just give us a little bit of a... But probably neither one will be eating ham for Easter. They're both probably doing prime <laughs> rib. Jerry Tice from just down the road, Leavenworth, Kansas. Uh, Jerry serves uh, on the board and is... Uh, 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 Second term? Second term. Into second term. First year of the second term, exactly. First year, second term, yep. And uh, will you be having Easter ham or Easter prime rib? I think we're going to pass on the ham. I think we'll have something CAB related for sure. Beautiful, beautiful. And uh, Dr. Barry Pollard is joining us again, of course, as uh, current chairman and president of the the board down in Oklahoma. Will there be prime rib on the menu? Uh, What's Roxanne fixing uh, for you guys? uh, Probably a medium rare ribeye cab product there we go i have in mind (laughs) and then we have another special guest here and kelly i think got added uh added to the roster right it was a surprise addition so welcome kelly thanks for saying yes on short notice but yeah no problem miranda i like surprises so we should be okay (laughs) so kelly vitalik riley of course we covered a lot of things in both the agi 
board meeting and also as we talk about breed improvement and thought it would be good to have your perspective today. So Absolutely. So I think we're just going to jump right in. I guess let's start with member services, Mark. There yeah. were several you, things. Jerry, that, uh, that committee met, uh, of course, a couple of weeks ago and then kind of does a report. You guys covered a lot of things. Uh, maybe some of the highlights from your standpoint. You know, exactly right. I mean, we did meet via Zoom there a week ago, and, and we did have a lot of discussion around kind of three key topics. I guess one was the was the parentage protocol that we have that involves potential AI sires or AI sires. And we've addressed this issue in the past, and um, we didn't really change anything, but we really discussed it. We felt like the changes we made a year ago that included uh, requiring the, the genetic uh, defect bundle was kind of that extra layer of insulation or protection as far as the parentage goes. Uh, <clears throat> so we still think that, that we're probably in a pretty good spot always looking for improvement but i think right now we're in a pretty good spot with that and we're going to go ahead and continue the educational component of that and make sure everybody's aware of that you know encourage everybody to update some of those older genomics or older dna samples you know for high influenced influential animals in their in their herd whether that be donors or ai sires um, we also looked at um, you know some membership uh, changes that involved non non-life term memberships, I believe, as far as transferring those um, in the event of a, a strictly more of a name change that involved either uh, as a result of a, a marriage or divorce or an adoption to where those transfers uh, would be allowed with a, with a one-time a one transfer with no fee, no fee involved. So. I should have probably stated that the Member Services Committee really oversees all the rules and policies, right? So anything that deals with rules and policies around registrations, around memberships, around transfers. And, and, and this parentage, I know this parentage topic has been one that uh, has been a, a, a frequent topic of discussion. And I know there's, there's uh, some breeders that have said, well, why not just, why not just require parentage, maybe on AI sires or, or, or donor dams, or uh, some would say everything, right? But I, and I think some of the challenge you guys talk about, not, you know, there may not be parentage markers on file for a, uh, for a particular, uh, you know, maybe a breeder that has a bull that, that gets, gets popular and goes into stud and, and that, uh, that donor dam or that dam, natural service, whatever, uh, she, she never had parentage markers on, on file. So requiring that today might, might be a little bit what would be. Would be, the challenge would be if that animal is no longer in existence. So if there is a potential AI sire that has a, you know, a young, young dam that, no DNA was collected from that, that died at an early age, you know, we would be closing the door on, you know, some elite genetics because of that. Yeah, so. some potentially really good genetics. The AGI team, when it, whenever we hear dead donor dam, those are the worst words, right, that we hear <laughs> uh, throughout the day, and that, that still happens today. Right. You know, as we get more and more and more of, uh, of our of our registered cattle that do have a, a genotype, and that, we know that's growing, that percentage is growing every every year. You know, maybe some of these things around, uh, you know, I know the board's always really sensitive when it comes down to requiring. When people say we should require, uh, whether that's, uh, I know this board and, and, the, and, and past boards have been really careful with that, of, of not trying to... Uh, you know, re require what needs to be required, but then not try to set up too many rules and policies that really tie the hands potentially or put undue cost or restrictions uh, on our breeders. The other thing we also talked about was uh, it was Rule 410 that involved the, you tried to put something in there to protect the association from any liabilities as involving intellectual properties and that sort of thing as things going, going forward. And then we also kind of took another look at all our gene editing policies and 
and no big changes there, just kind of some tweaks and, and verbiage changes that we're always just trying to stay proactive and out in front in. Every time you think you have the language just right, a new like hypothetical scenario comes up, right? <laughs> and I'll be honest, this is a fourth year on that committee, and we know it is a work in progress. It we yep. work, look at it, work at it uh, every every meeting, and uh, a lot of that credit goes to Mr. Casty or Jerry Casty that spends a lot of time, a lot of time doing that. Yeah. You guys also talked about just some things from a member service standpoint around auto news renewal, uh, auto dues, dues. renewal. Um, it's been a long we were going to tell that we don't edit because that would <laughs> wonder is something we would edit out. No. And, and then also, uh, things around just paperless billing, just some things talking about efficiency and member service and also cost savings. Right. Exactly. And I'm with the auto news, auto dues renewal. I got Sorry. <laughs> got me tongue tied as well. Yep. It's actually kind of on the uptake. It's new, but you know, when you do renew online, there's a, there's an option that you can automatically have that renewal done every year where it's going to use the credit card on file and it's probably going to save a lot of people including myself a little bit of grief <laughs> that kind of forgets to renew that junior member in your family and you get the little notice you can't register the calf <laughs> because you're not an active member so it's all good it's all good Absolutely. so member services kind of transitions naturally into i would say breed improvement is really a, a member service and and also we talk about service to our commercial cattlemen as, as well. So we had quite a few topics in that there were that umbrella, I guess. Yeah, there were. And, and I think always, always topics that, you know, I think breed improvement and, and AGI um, tend, I always say that's a hand in glove relationship, you know, and Kelly, you always say it so well, AGI is the, is the genetic uh, service provider for the American Angus Association. And, and I always say our, our innovation and research and development arm and, 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 and that need and is always communicated back and forth with, uh, through the breed improvement committee. Um, maybe, maybe, some of the things that uh, were talked about in there, uh, you know, we're always talking about uh, one, one being uh, this ongoing discussion around giving credit to the data collectors. Um, um, maybe talk a little bit about what maybe some of those discussions were and ultimately a decision around, you know, a couple of years ago, we started listing the phenotypic traits that, uh, that, uh, that were submitted on that animal. But there's been some question around which traits are actually going into the national cattle evaluation and which ones aren't. Is there a way to differentiate those? So maybe give us a little background on that one. Yeah, I mean, we always want to elevate, right, our data collectors and what they do for a national cattle evaluation. And the good news is, Barry, we have a lot of data collectors in your association that make that national cattle evaluation really great. And so... Uh, Dr. Esther Tarpoff actually leads that breed improvement committee as the staff liaison, and, and she's done some good work to try and identify ways, really, to be able to say, hey, these are the these are the people who are inputting actual phenotypes into our database. And so one of the moves that that committee had taken a oh, couple years ago now um, was basically to list the individual phenotypes on the online pedigree lookup uh, that allows them to say, hey, I do have a birth weight, right, submitted to the organization. I have a weaning weight. Um, carcass data, et cetera. And what we found is it's, it's created a few questions, right? Because as soon, I'm sure members have noticed, right? As soon as you send in your birth weight, right? The next day, that birth weight shows up on the bottom of that pedigree. But we know we don't run that national cattle evaluation, right? The genetic evaluation, right. but right. weekly, okay? Right. So um, we had some questions as to, okay, well, was my data point in there? Was it not? And then we also know we have some really good data collectors who maybe in a position where they're doing ET programs or embryo transfer programs and and as a genetic evaluation, right, we know that 
growth data, right, from commercial recips on ET calves, we, we don't use that in the evaluation. And so that's really not actually adding any value, right, um, to that EPD. But we still want to make sure, right, that we say, hey, these people are doing the right thing and they're trying to get their data into us. And so um, what Dr. Tarpoff is working towards is actually identifying, okay, what traits are being submitted. That's already done. Check that one. And then the second one is what traits are actually being inputted into the National Cattle Evaluation. And there's, Mark, a multitude of reasons why, right, a data point wouldn't enter that National Cattle Evaluation. Yeah. So I think the direction and kind of the maybe the wishes of the committee there was to look at it and say, well, you can still have the list of those traits, but we might maybe in bold or in asterisks those traits that are actually in the National Cattle, National Cattle Evaluation. It'll prompt some questions uh, and some education and learning opportunities uh, for all of us, I suppose. But um, uh, that was the wishes of that, that committee, and I think, uh, I think makes a lot of sense. Barry, I know you get into a lot of discussion just in this topic and collecting phenotypes, right? You know, and, and uh, oh, yeah. it's, it's a pretty popular one. Yeah, it is. It's so important that we all continue to collect as much data as we can and report it. The, uh, you know, people would like to think that maybe the genomic evaluation would replace all of that, but it does not. Um, every piece of data that we can collect makes that genomic data more accurate. And so it's really important on all of our parts and all of our ranches to collect and submit all of the data that we can to help verify and make more accuracy of all of the genomic predictions that come out of that. Mm -hmm. So we encourage all the producers to be enrolled in that and do as much as they can. It adds value yeah. to our system. Across the board, for sure. If I have my, my notes correctly here, they're a little bit messy to read, but I think that it said that red inventory reporting is up 30% over last year at this time. Um, and I think if you see individual data points go down, some of those are in line with cow numbers, right? Like That's incredibly important. Mm -hmm. I'm, I, in particular, the disposal codes, I think, are so important uh, because we need to know why an animal leaves your herd because it helps us develop procedures to look at what needs to be improved in the breed itself. So uh, everything about Maternal Plus or Horde reporting is extremely valuable, and I encourage everyone to get on board with that because it'll make us stronger. Yeah, yeah, and that particularly goes to your heifer pregnancy data, your disposal code data. You know, we're trying to work on new traits like functional longevity. Those data sets are really important to us. And then across the board, right, there's obviously a lot of things that we capture that maybe are not check marks to your inventory reporting procedure, but are definitely really, really important for whole herd reporting, if, if we want to think about it that way. How many data points can I collect on my individual herd and, and make accurate predictions? In this realm of, of data collection, also we talked about the Structured Sire Evaluation Program, and, and uh, here just fairly recently, in the last year or so, we've, we've uh, allowed a, an opportunity to uh, nominate sires for that Structured Sire Evaluation. Really, the, the, the genesis of that program is back to getting specifically carcass data. We know there's opportunities to get, it, it ties into your heart health initiative and research and some other areas, but really a, largely around, uh, uh, around carcass data and, and making sure we've, we're specifically finding some of those animals maybe that aren't as characterized in the database today. So that's been a, a, a proactive effort of the association for a long time. Uh, the, the positive is we're seeing more uh, breeders that have expressed interest in nominating, I say a young sire, I don't know if they're all necessarily young sires, but uh, some sires that we don't have a lot of carcass data on, our, our, our barrier at this point is finding cooperator herds. Uh, so that's been kind of a, uh, you're going to hear more from us on that of, of maybe putting a, a call out there for a 
few more uh, commercial herds that are uh, uh, willing to uh, help us in in that initiative. There's some. Uh, uh, and I think the hard part, Mark, is that it's a pretty <clears throat> specific. I mean, they probably should already be doing some AI. AI. They yep. should yes. probably be large enough numbers to have. I mean, it's nice big contemporary. Right. Groups, yeah. So. But I wrote that down too. The handicap to the program is finding good test hurt. Not that there's not a lot of good producers out there. It's just that it's a really specific set. For yeah. sure, and we could use a lot of our, you know, our bigger, you know, purebred or registered guys, seed stock producers that have those connections, you know, with their bull exactly. customers. If they would be willing to reach out to those more progressive commercial guys that are doing those things, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, we would welcome any of that input. And that are getting carcass data. I should add that that's the, the other hurdle or have access to get carcass yeah. data. Sometimes we've got a lot of good people in mind and then that's the last thing that's like, ah, oh, we yeah. also need that. Right. Yeah, that probably that perfect uh, scenario is those that are retaining ownership, right? And that way you don't have to worry about the ownership exchange and 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 making and, and maintaining the identity of those cattle and getting the data back. But um, if yeah, so you'll hear more from us. But as again, as as you said, Jerry, if if, if we've got folks that have some ideas of some of those producers that would be interested in learning more, um, uh, we do uh, we do uh, have a financial. Uh, this isn't we don't ask them to just do this for free. We understand there's costs associated, and we will help them with that because we. You know that's a that's an important investment the association makes to make sure we're continuing to uh, uh, to get that really really important data mm -hmm. well as we discuss that it's a good segue into the angus link program because uh, that is key and very important in our business right now um, we can speak to how that program is starting to really grow legs and take off be more recognized by people and starting to grow in popularity and the validation of its ability to predict carcass genetics is well known now and uh, we continue to see more people getting more and more interested in that it's a real driver for angus bull sales yep. and it is a real driver then for our customer base for our for our membership and all of our members need to know about angus link they all need to understand it they all need to be supporting it and they all need to be talking to their commercial breeders about it because it is a huge opportunity for us I see it as an opportunity similar to CAB in the future as we go forward. Yeah. And I think everybody needs to know about it and be talking about it and promoting it. Yeah. We saw some, uh, we, we really celebrated, a, really January, celebrated a year uh, in, in a, our collaboration, our partnership with IMI Global. And I think as we look back on that year, we went from, uh, from prior to that enrolling close to 60,000 head to last year and that in a 12-month period doing 210,000 head and and it, it's really as you said doc it feels like it's getting some a real foothold we're getting more cattle feeders that are starting to see this program in scale and be able to start asking questions uh, about uh, how can they use those scores um, and I, you had some interesting insight and conversations Kelly you had with with cattle feeders it's not so much that, uh, that I just want the highest scoring cattle yeah. um i just, want, just to want to know what, what those have. cattle are if they're average that's great i can i can maximize my profit to if i know what those cattle are or if i know they're a higher potential i'll manage them accordingly so i think sometimes we've even lost sight of of the value of well it, the, the value is only on the very top end the value is in characterizing those genetics and allowing that information to be passed through the chain yeah we know those cattle feeders they have their risk aversion models right they have that baked in from a, a feeding standpoint from a management standpoint and so this is one more data point right mark that maybe they could fit in and yeah i thought that, that was an interesting perspective for me because i probably hadn't hadn't heard that perspective before but i mean this was a big feeder right he can that you know that group controls a lot of cattle um, and for him, it was like, 
you know, the hundreds or the industry average cattle are good for me to know too, right? Because if I can manage them, I can make money on them. But we, right. would be, we would be remiss to, to mention, though, that they, they also are willing to pay premiums for the good ones. Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, the, the system is working. They are willing to pay those premiums. There's value all the way across. I look at Angus Link as part of the evolution of the feeding industry. Mm-hmm. I think as we grow our recognition of Angus Link and its reliability in predicting carcass genetics, that it will be part of the evolutionary process of feeding cattle properly. And I think it's got a big role to play in that. I think some of the best uh, comments we've heard from cattle feeders is, I I really like those cattle, I can't afford them, which uh, (laughs) we kind of like that. Um, But it also does speak to, and, and as we talk about the growth of the program and our opportunity to grow, some of that speaks to the fact that a lot of our uh, program enrollments thus far have been also tied to uh, NHTC, NE3. They're the full-blown program cattle with all the bells and whistles. And I think where we've got a huge opportunity is folks that are just, uh, I say just, but they, they don't want to participate in, in those programs necessarily, but are willing to do age and source and get their cattle enrolled. And and, uh, uh, and and maybe they're not interested in the scorecard. Maybe they just want to do Angus Verified and say, these cattle are out of registered Angus bulls. And we do talked about maybe even separating, given those uh, particular producers and breeders, if that's what they're customer more and give them some Kate some some uh, promotional tools that are just specifically talking about the value of Angus verified too so really customizing it and allowing us to really scale that program long term really gives those commercial producers out there an opportunity to maximize the profit that they can make on their animals mm-hmm. it's a great opportunity for them yeah so one of my favorite parts about the Angus Link program is that, it, of course, I mean, there's that selfishly, it drives demand for, for registered Angus genetics. That's a good thing. But it's also a tool for our commercial cattlemen. And I, we spend a lot of time talking about tools for our commercial cattlemen and, and ways that we can help them make genetic progress in their own herds. And those would have fallen in sort of that yeah. that AGI. Kind of a hybrid, right, between AGI and yep. in the commercial programs uh, team. Right. Obviously, we AGI sees herself as kind of the the, the intelligence or the, the engine. Right. <laughs> Did not you just inte- say you're smarter than yeah. Troy? <laughs> no, I think that's what I that's heard. not what I said. <laughs> well, who's going to debate that? Point? Um, oh, I wish Troy was here. <laughs> but we do have that uh, ability, right, to create genetic predictions and to create, um, you know, genetic value out of those those marks that we have inside of our database. And a couple of the things that we've we've been tasked with. Right. Working alongside Troy have been not only to uh, enhance the value of the current genetic merit scorecard, you know, by making sure everything is as up-to-date as possible, um, which we do on a yearly basis anyways, um, but also adding a maternal score component to that scorecard. And, and while uh, Angus Link is a feeder calf marketing program, we also know that there's um, places where people may want to market a group of replacement females. And I don't know if I was in search of a marker group of replacement females. I'd rather have a high-scoring group rather than a low-scoring group. So that's kind of the approach we're taking. This is a group score, right, um, for the Angus Link program that then could be used to, to market a set of replacement heifers um, in that marketplace. You know, and it ties into to then maybe also the work in GeneMax. And, you know, we really spent a lot of time, and I kind of started my, my report at the very front end, really looking at the outlook of, 
of, of where our industry's at. We're all aware of, of we're, we're looking at historically low inventories and, and, and this herd rebuilding hasn't quite taken off maybe like we were predicting it would have a year or two years ago and largely related to Mother Nature and, and such. And, and, uh, uh, and we know that, one, that has an impact on, on our registrations and a lot of our core business. We talked about that. But, but I think the opportunity as we look of when the herd does rebuild, right, making sure that Angus is positioned, uh, as uh, as the solution, um, and I think putting some of these tools in our in the hands of, of our commercial cattlemen is key. And maybe speak to where we're at with uh, Gene Max Advantage, a product that's been around uh, a long time, but here just last June the board decided uh, to add make the addition of, of dollar value indexes. So research is underway to, to make that happen. Yeah. So obviously we've we've had Gene Max Advantage around for since 2014 2012 era. Um, but it's we, we really took a pivotal step last fall when the board said, hey, let's try to create a common currency between our registered Angus seed stock, right, and those commercial Angus females that are, you know, um, basically a result of buying those registered Angus bulls. And and so we've moved forward with this decision to add the Angus dollar values to the, the Gene Max um, to the Gene Max commercial test. And it's a pretty big project, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so we we tried to lay it out and give some perspective to the board. Um, I sure wish there was a quick switch to turn it on overnight. Unfortunately, there's not. We got a good team of people in here that are going to make it happen. Um, but basically, laid out that timeline. You know, hoping by the end of this year, um, we're able to actually start to deliver some of those dollar values into the commercial cattle industry. Um, you know, that would obviously be able to to help people who have previously tested with Gene Max Advantage as well um, get those values placed on on their cattle as well. Because as we're talking about common currency, Jerry, we don't want to create two common two currencies <laughs> right on the same herd. And so, uh, really trying to transition those things. And so. Honestly, as our seed stock breeders are going out and having conversations with their commercial breeders and what bulls should I buy and, and what should I look at, um, they have a common language to speak. Our seed stock breeders, right, they know their dollar values. They know exactly how to talk about them with their commercial uh, cattle customers. Um, if you try to pull them into a different currency, all of a sudden we're talking about Gene Max Advantage, and that's a whole other language they would have to speak. Will that make it easier for you guys as breeders and those making recommendations maybe when your commercial customers? Oh, absolutely, asking? because uh, those that are used to looking at our dollar values now, they'd be comparable across the board. And I think we've seen in previous natural disasters of drought over the last 10 or 15 years that whenever people rebuild their herd, they're rebuilding with better genetics. Mm -hmm. And they didn't and maybe didn't use all the tools available at that time. Now is the perfect opportunity I mean, people will start rebuilding the herd, and they have these tools available. So whenever you can use the tools to to evaluate and select that, that commercial cow that you want to put in your herd that will produce a calf that's worth two or three or four, five hundred dollars more than a regular average cow, then why not take that opportunity? Yep. So it's a really an opportunity for them to come back and replace that herd with better cattle and make potentially more profit. Yeah, and we've seen the uptake of Gene Max here in the last couple of months, probably because we're going through those herd rebuilding efforts. So, you know, taking advantage of the tools that are already available, and then this is just going to be a cherry on top of the cake, I really think, just to really drive the value, right, of profitable genetics down into the commercial industry. For sure. And to echo what Barry said, I mean, it's just another tool for those progressive commercial guys that are wanting to know more before they rebuild. It just gives them one more tool to lean on. Yeah. Yep. With with you know, what we consider very good, high-accuracy information. Yep. When you combine the opportunity for, for that gene match advantage 
with the opportunity then to buy more good Angus bulls to get into the Angus Link program, it's a home run for for people to take advantage of that. I like to call that the genetic game plan, mm-hmm. right? I'm kind of a nerd, though, so that's what that is. <laughs> <laughs> she's got a whole uh, It's a Wisconsin of, Badger yeah, I, game plan. <laughs> yeah. 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 And she's got five columns in the Angus Beef Bulletin you can go <laughs> reference if you yeah, want. Yeah, exactly. You talk about tools and making tools better and, and you know, so much of the discussion in, in Breed Improvement Committee and then later in AGI was, was around that. And I, I, maybe I want to speak... To a, to a couple, or have you speak, Kelly, uh, or, or others? To, to <laughs> Only a, if you want to. To a, to a couple of the things. Um, you know, earlier you mentioned uh, the weekly evaluation, and uh, 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 Dr. Andre gave some, uh, some, some insight into the, the time it takes to run and crunch all these data by traits and by runs and, and, and some of the challenges that are occurring as, again, it's a great thing. We're getting more data. We're getting more genotypes, but, but it, it, those things take longer to run. So people have maybe heard of the core update that was done back in 21, but maybe give a little update of, of what the plans are uh, as we look at uh, keeping this evaluation humming and, and getting it done on a, on a weekly turnaround. I think Dr. Pollard wanted to give that update, right, Dr. Pollard? <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, Kelly. No, Kelly, go right ahead. I'll follow up on anything you miss. We'll, we'll help you. We'll help you if you need help. Yeah, so, I mean, that genetic evaluation, we all know it runs from a Friday to Friday um, genetic evaluation. And, and as we add more data, right, there is a computational cost, right, because we're, we're solving millions of equations every single week um, throughout our 14 different models that we run in order to get those really good predictions outside, um, out the other end. And so when we think about something like a core update, right, and to remind people, a core update is, is basically a part of our single-step genetic evaluation that allows us to be able to... Um, now we're going to get a little technical, so Jerry, help me out with this, right? <laughs> to, to invert a really large matrix, right? Think about a matrix that includes, right, 20 million animals in a pedigree, right, with 1.8 million of them being genotyped, and, and basically putting that into a big Excel spreadsheet, right, and hitting the invert formula. It's kind of That's difficult. a lot of math to math in a week. Yeah, it is. That's what we're it trying is. to say. It's very But if hard. you saw Kelly's hands, they went shifted this way from that <laughs> way, which you can obviously see on the podcast. Yes. And so one of the things that we have to do is we have to have a core set of animals that basically helps us approximate those relationships. And that core set of animals needs to be... Um, Needs, yeah, needs to be current and new, so it describes the current genetic uh, population or the genomic tested population. Um, and the last time we did this in 2021, we had about 1 million, 1.1 million genotypes. Today, Barry, we have about 1.5, um, 1.8 in the uh, genetic evaluations that we run with Angus Australia. And so a lot more genotypes, so it's time to update again. And this update does two things. It keeps us current, right, and accurate, but it also helps us speed up our times, right? And so we're running about 100 hours right now for what would predict out um, our breeder's carcass weight, ribeye area, and fat evaluation. Um, I don't know if we do that quick mental math. That's quite a long time, right? We start on... It said it was up 270% or something. One of those traits was. Is that yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. And it, it would be that big weight rib model. And, and part of that is there's so many traits that are inside of there, right? Um, you guys can think about all the ultrasound data you collect, the actual carcass data, the growth records that are in there, the genotypes, the pedigree. There's just a lot of data in there. Um, so the the cost of that computationally will, will grow, right, as we add more and more... Uh, phenotypes and genotypes, which again is a good problem to have, um, but we need to continue to keep that core current, right, for two, for those two reasons, and we're going to go through that process and aim for an update coming out in our annual uh, updates that we do to your genetic evaluation on a yearly basis this May. 
to me, those are things that, uh, again, I, for, for a board, spending time on and understanding. We had discussion around, you know, what, what else can we do from a hardware standpoint? What else can we do from a software standpoint? Uh, can we add days to the week? That, that discussion <laughs> didn't go very far. But, uh, you know, I'd say most breeders probably don't think about that, right? They know on Friday morning that uh, that new evaluation will run. What they, what they maybe didn't understand is that took, you know, when they – I used to think there was just a button back there you pushed and it ran and kicked out new EPDs. The reality is you hit the button and, and maybe four days later on a particular you come back and there might be and then there's all sorts of reports to run and things that the team does such a great uh, job of taking care of uh, this evaluation every week but uh, it's a it is a, a real thing that uh, we have to make sure we stay it's kind of down in the weeds here but it's I think important that, that breeders understand all the care that that goes into this and and some of these other uh, considerations that that we have to take that we have to think about and strategize around to make sure that uh, uh, that evaluation can run every week. Yeah, and I think the the thing about core and and uh, our breeders will remember the last time that we did this, right? We had really high correlations across the board, and that's what we would expect. You know, we have always have a few outliers, and the reason for those outliers is because they're newer, upcoming genetics that weren't well represented in that core maybe two years ago, right, in 2021, and we may see those ones shift a little bit more. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a more accurate evaluation that's going to run efficiently, um, and quite frankly, we're going to make sure that your genetic currency of your EPDs and your dollar values are going to be out there and, and ready for you guys to utilize and make decisions on. Another important part of that discussion was the recognition of our membership relies on that data. Absolutely. And we don't want to sacrifice in any way their opportunity to have all of that data available. And so recognizing the needs now that we might have in the future helps us plan how we will approach that and have the resources available to continue to provide that data to the membership. Yeah, absolutely. We, we talk about, you know, Mark, you called us the innovative innovation and research arm of the organization. And sometimes we get in some of these down the weeds topics, right. That are honestly a bit more routine for us, right. This is what we handle on the daily. Um, but they're just as important as maybe some of the new traits we're developing or some of these other things, you know, people like Barry and Jerry who are on this podcast, you've become reliant on those EPD predictions coming every single week. And we're going to do everything that we can to, to ensure that they are. And, and we're going to be fine for a really long time, but it just means that we have to continue to update this and keep it as efficient as possible. In addition, when you talk about the projects that you have on your plate and you know, you're doing that as, as regular day-to-day -day work, uh, we also got some research updates on, on some other areas. But I also want to note that Kelly's team is fully staffed and so we got to hear from a variety of, of sure. different folks new <clears throat> geneticists in our office and we're happy to have them on the team to carry forward some of this work that maybe we've been talking about and it's great to to have that staff on to yeah no one more thankful around this table than kelly yeah if everybody I'm, could see the smile on her face now <laughs> you'd I understand yeah no they're, they're amazing we have a great uh you know we've been able to increase our team um, especially on the research and development side by a large scale. And, and obviously we work really closely with the information systems team here too to execute some of the, the production pipelines and the research. Um, but we got to hear from four different um, research geneticists that we have here on staff, right? They're all highly qualified, a couple um, not too far out of their PhD programs, a couple that have a bit more tenure. And, and obviously Andre Garcia has been with us for a handful of years now. And so it's just really neat to watch that team come and grow and and because of that, Miranda, we've been able to probably bring back or pick up some projects that honestly got got a little put on the back burner for a bit um, because we were we were taking care of the day-to-day the -day stuff and the things that we knew needed to be pushed forward in the last year and a half. And so 
Dr. Larissa Novo um, kind of updated us about some of her fertility haplotype work. Um, so you heard us talk about fertility haplotypes a lot, right, Mark, for a <laughs> while there. Um, the board spent a lot of time on it, uh, policy, protocol, those sorts of things. Um, but this time, right, we have a lot more genotypes, right? We have a lot more data that we can access. And so Larissa's basically uh, kind of re revamped that research, started with a, a different data set, quite frankly, because we have more records now. And she's doing a really great job of getting her hands around that data. Um, now, don't expect any updates or fertility haplotypes or any haplotypes, right, for that matter, to uh, get presented out to the membership, you know, within the next six months. This is a long-term project. We know that. Um, but we have a pretty highly skilled individual working on that project now. And then we also got updates on some other heifer pregnancy um, yeah, I'm so remember there was a yeah, lot of research. And this, was, this was a topic, and, and again, we're we're kind of in the weeds a little bit, but I think it's good for listeners to kind of know what. To, I mean, the board gets in the weeds, um, uh, has to get in the weeds on some on some of these things, and um, uh, feel free just to list these out, Mark, if you want. <laughs> Anytime <laughs> Kelly's on the podcast, I get in the weeds, so I think well, I'm the no, problem. That's, right? that's why you're here. Yeah. No, we wanted to, but but there was a, a fair amount of discussion around uh, contemporary grouping um, and breeder submitted contemporary groups um, versus maybe looking at a at a defined some defined contemporary groups in the data and and uh, and so kind of looked through that and and some of the research and and some of what you're finding and and suggesting that maybe the breeder submitted uh contemporary groups are they're pretty messy yeah and that's specific to our heifer pregnancy yeah, evaluation correct, right correct, we yeah, should yeah, make yeah. that clear right <laughs> this is for one trait this isn't something that's happening across the board um from that standpoint but specifically for our heifer pregnancy contemporary groups we were seeing some patterns in the data that we were just we, we kind of looked at and said well that that's not correct right and so We've been able to go in, and, and a lot of those contemporary groups remain intact exactly the same way as their breeders submit them. Um, but we're looking at adding some things in that contemporary group definition around, for instance, heifer birth season, right? So when that female actually was born, because obviously she was grown and developed in, you know, she was born in the spring, Jerry. She was grown and developed in much different con sure. uh, conditions than she was born in the fall, right? And obviously that's not a genetic component, but if you don't account for it, it looks like a genetic component in that model. And so we've done a lot of number crunching. We actually got a, a lot of comments and feedback from our board of directors, right, when we had that presentation, yeah. mm -hmm. which is good. That's what we present these items to because we do listen, right? And so we <laughs> went back, and uh, before we left last night, Andre and Pedro were huddled up in his office, and, and they were going over other things to make sure that we got that thing as well-oiled as possible. But I think at the end of the day, the cool thing was is that by making slight tweaks, right, to that contemporary group definition, um, we increased, right, the accuracy of that genetic prediction model across the board by about 4%, right? So that may not sound like a huge amount, but when you look about look at how important something like fertility and heifer pregnancy is, we want to make sure we're doing the best job possible in order to give you guys accurate predictions. So accuracy like 0.3 to 0.34, is that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and decreasing um, our bias in that evaluation a little bit. And so those are things that, those are day jobs, right? Day jobs that we continue to do. It's not all about the new, right? We're, we, we do look at new traits as comments come from our board of directors and as you guys tasked us with research. But at the end of the day, we got to make sure the current tools are the best they can be. 
Right. I think it's important to add that in those contemporary groupings, I don't think anybody was doing anything knowingly. Oh, absolutely not. You know, it was just a matter of, and as breeders, we're all guilty of it. If you have a, you know, a spring and you have a short breeding season, it's not necessarily always a heifer's fault. But if you're tightening up those breeding seasons and, and that spring-born heifer gets rolled to your fall group, that's when the confusion kind of came into play. Yeah. So we're just trying to clear that up as far as that heifer's older, she should have cycled sooner. You know, it's not an equal playing field. So, yeah. uh, you know, I think it's important to realize that it's that's not a shot at the membership. I mean, everybody Absolutely was not. doing a good job. It's just, you know, some things that we've noticed. Yeah, a few anomalies, right? We know that when we expose her the first time in March, then she shows up again exposed in September. Like, something probably happened in between <laughs> right. there. Because the last thing we <laughs> want to do is discourage anybody from submitting their breeding data. Absolutely. That's not sure. the message. For sure. So that room that we were in got a little bit warm that morning, and we, we were in a lot of heavy topics. So I'm not going to say that it was a welcome interruption, but kind of. We had a presentation from uh, National Junior Angus Association board member Jack Damron got on the phone with us and talked over some of their goals for the year and, and some of that. So anybody want to recap that conversation? Well, it's just a great opportunity to hear from some of the juniors, and he represents the junior board very, very well and outlined their objectives and things that they're doing. And, uh, you know, the overall program is just fantastic for developing young people and uh, leadership skills and the knowledge they learn, and it's a wonderful program all the way around. And uh, he did a very nice job of representing the board and uh, representing the juniors. Very nice. For sure, and I think he, you know, one little neat thing is when he mentioned uh, the community service project involving the Ronald McDonald House and how the board was going to get there a few days early yep. to do some specific things there. I, you know, I think people need to realize, you know, the junior association or the junior organization is is a key component of what we do and why we do it. And and, and modeling. I mean, I think that that's a great example of of of, of modeling what what leadership looks like. And it's you know, there these are these are young folks that are that are held on a on a bit of a pedestal and, and admired and looked to by by so many of our of our, of our youth and and uh, it's not just uh, what they get to do and out in a show ring or help at these leadership conferences it's that community service and some of those other things that they're a part of that uh, uh, pretty pretty incredible role models I'm just gonna say it's not all about just showing either mm -hmm. I mean the junior program has speech contests cooking contests you know there's a lot of mm -hmm. other things that is involved in the junior program and uh, we want to encourage all of that. One thing that struck me, he listed their uh, top five like objectives for the year, and they were very similar lined up next to some of our American Angus Association objectives. I mean, things like opportunities for a diverse membership to be involved and preserving their Angus legacy. And um, it, I just think it's nice nicely to know. Aligned. Yeah, nicely yeah. aligned. That's exactly right. Now where? <laughs> you're the lead. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're driving this bus, Miranda. Well, I, yeah. You're driving the bus. Well, it's it. You know, we come to this podcast that we've got. Well, I don't know how long we've. I don't even know how long we've been talking. You know, or how long you've been listening. Um, but Me Megan's face says a long yeah, time so, over there behind you know, the but microphone. We're really trying to encapsulate four days of meetings and and uh, a whole week of, of Zoom calls. So I I, I always encourage. Folks, uh, we, we, we really work hard at, and I know it's the, the heart of this board uh, to, to be very transparent um, um, in terms of communicating what 
being talked about, uh, open to ideas. Uh, we've got the, uh, the, the the information ahead of the meeting. We'll have uh, we'll have information out on the the website uh, that uh, we'll have a letter that kind of walks through uh, a lot of those uh, topics. And then, of course, look to your Angus Journal for the uh, agenda highlights. Of course, the reason we're doing this special edition po- podcast is always to try to uh, not just report, but but for you all to hear uh, again from different board members of of kind of what uh, the different discussions and kind of the thought process and and honestly a lot of times the wrestle and the deliberation around these aren't um, these aren't a lot of easy decisions. Um, we got into some things in in Angus Media. Um, I was just going to say before we sign off, we better talk about the entity, the other. Yeah, that's true. Like, I mean, yeah. uh, gosh, we got. Uh, I mentioned Angus Media, uh, Miranda, the the uh, um, as as. First off, we're thanking Kenny Miller for stepping in right now as a fearless leader uh, for us. Well, the the search continues for our next fearless leader. Yeah, we were, we were, we were sad that uh, uh, we, uh, we lost uh, Clay Zwilling. Uh, Clay was doing a great job and not been here a real long time, just had an opportunity that he needed to pursue with his family and what was best interest their family. Of course, we always respect that. We hate that, uh, but we've got such an incredible team in, in Angus Media and, and uh, uh, we'll continue to, 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 uh, to, to, to charge forward. And, and so we gave a little update of just all the great things going on there. Um, you know, one topic that was, you talk about kind of a, an, an interesting one to think about is is around this editing of, of photos and and uh, you know we talk about today you know I'll be I'm not naive that uh, photo editing is as has has occurred in the past um, but there's some pretty new technologies out there around artificial intelligence that uh, makes uh, what I'll call photo integrity um, a little bit maybe more of a challenge and so uh, uh, we looked at a couple examples we've talked about uh, just kind of how do we as as Angus media um, you know it's it's hard for us to police all of these things but 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 it's a really important discussion that we just needed to put a little air around a very politically correct, well put. Mark. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is a concern, and it's not a new concern, I don't think. It's just something that, that I think we're all aware of, you know, and I think we need to, to just realize that people are aware of, of what is happening and what's going on, and, and you know, we're kind of always considering what we do or, you know, if or how we should be involved in that monitoring of that, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, it's a difficult one to handle because we can't please everyone and uh, do everything but uh, just a word of caution for everyone that you know take take note and a note we didn't I mean the board didn't develop any specific policy around it we do rely on the livestock publications council policy as it relates to I mean, what's an acceptable edit? You can change lighting things taking some mud taking a little background out take a halter off versus reconstruct an animal absolutely One thing I'd comment on is, you know, we've got, for our membership's uh, knowledge, I mean, we've got a very diverse membership, and we have a very diversified board. And uh, the board does a real good job of letting everyone have their opinion, voice their opinion and in a, in a, in a, in a meeting format, and uh, represent the membership well. All segments of our membership are represented well. And I take a lot of pride in that, in seeing that that's how we function. And... Uh, and it's important, very important, and I think want to make that clear. Yeah, well, worth uh, noting for sure. Yeah, and I think it, what, what makes us unique, and, and uh, candidly, I think that diversity we talk about all the time, that diversity of opinion and perspective is a, is a huge strength. Um, I think other things, real, just because we kind of, you know, gosh, the other 
which I had so many uh, successful uh, things going on with the foundation in the last uh, couple months. So we, uh, Jacqueline Beaster kind of highlighted um, uh, some of those big, uh, gosh, we had just this outpouring of support for the foundation through uh, Oklahoma City at the Cattlemen's Congress and, uh, and, then, and then at National Western and some of the year-end activities. Uh, that, was, uh, that was just great to hear. Uh, things going on at Certified Angus Beef. Demand continues to uh, be incredibly strong for our end product. They continue to innovate on how we deliver that brand and uh, and and speak to that consumer and connect with that consumer uh, the uh, also heard a little bit from uh, from the team there around some of their leadership efforts uh, around uh, this red meat uh, yield uh, task force and some things on instrument grading that maybe our listeners have kind of heard about some of this new remote grading things that uh, CAB has been a part of some pilots on so just just a handful of the topics that come to mind that are I think might be of interest and we're, we're fun to hear some updates and and exciting to think about where they're going to go in the future and sales have been great I mean, Angus is strong right now, very strong. It can get better all the time, but uh, the bull sale in Oklahoma City was outstanding. Um, you know, you look at the bull sales and the cattle sales across the country, things are looking great, and uh, I think a lot of that's due to the data that we've collected through the years mm -hmm. and everything that we've done to build a database and Angus genetics and everything that we stand for. It makes for a pretty optimistic board meeting, which is fun. Right. <laughs> It was, and it's kind of, you know, it gives us the information, and we, we, we discuss things, and then we set the tone for what's going to happen in the next year or longer, and uh, kind of always trying to look forward to what, where do we need to be, what do we need to be doing, what changes do we need to make, why did that ham fit in that box, you know, <laughs> is there a reason for that? So uh, we are progressive, and we'll continue to be that way. Excellent. Did we cover everything everybody wanted to talk about I'm i believe so yeah shaking heads. Shake heads all the way around we would point folks out to the to uh to angus.org where we post the letter and again look for the the highlights in the angus journal and and also on the website and and uh, you know so many of these topics we talked about also i always point you know a lot of this is covered in more detail in articles and in the journal and and always point folks there there's just it's always a wealth of of information if you want to dig deeper and dive deeper into some of these topics uh, we work hard to, to make that available to you well, thanks, everybody. Thank you. Have safe travels home. Thanks, right. guys. That was a good recap of the week. To keep up on Angus news in between issues, sign up for the AJ Daily at angusjournal.net. This has been the Angus Conversation, an Angus Journal podcast.